Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Well, we have much to discuss here, starting with, of course, Jabari Parker going to the Chicago Bulls from the Bucks, And we also got to get into the beginning of our summer league scouting. I was like, wow, why did we do this in like four different parts last year? And then I tried to do the first one and it took like five hours just to do five teams. So, oh yeah, now I remember why. <laughs> so uh, we're going to get to... Some of the teams at the top of the alphabet, see how long those take us. But first, uh, let's start with the, the news really of the last three or four days. Jabari Parker, Ballyhooed number two overall pick in 2014, is now a Chicago Bull. Two-year, $40 million contract, second-year team option that only became possible after the Bucks actually agreed to rescind the qualifying offer to Jabari, because otherwise an offer sheet has to be at least two guaranteed years. I'm sorry, it doesn't need to be two guaranteed years. It must be two years exclusive of options. They could have had a non-guaranteed year on the second year, but uh, I think both parties preferred the team option. And I think we could talk about this from the Bulls' perspective momentarily. But first, let's just talk about this from the Bucks' perspective. Dan Feldman had this, that it really is nearly unprecedented for a player to just leave in free agency when he was picked that high. Of course, the two ACL tears for Jabari and the emergence of Giannis, a player at his same position, did exacerbate the situation and perhaps uh, led to him leaving yeah and i mean so there are unusual factors in play in this circumstance but generally and i think this was something that dan got at in his piece is that when this writing is on the wall usually the team figures out a way to get some compensation one example there was while the contract was a little bit nebulous i actually found one of my old pieces talking about it too that Derek Williams, who was the number two pick who flamed out, was traded for Luca Shard and Bamute much earlier in his career. That was a trade with Sacramento. And Bamute, you know, maybe a positive, maybe a negative value on that contract at the time. Part of what made that more difficult in this specific case was that Jabari Parker was still making his way back from a torn ACL. And so his second. So that made it harder if they had decided to mutually part ways for that to happen. But yeah, in terms of use of a resource, that is a concern. And, and whenever we do off-season grades i will have much more on how milwaukee's off-season affected their long-term potential and the upside non-plays and everything like that but yeah this certainly is a you know they had a, a special opportunity when they were got the second pick and Giannis was intriguing but had not had not yet emerged and you know now they got basically nothing for it yeah and interesting that Joel Embiid whom they passed on and really at that point let's be fair no one was 
Parker was the unanimous number two pick. There was some talk he might be number one. There's also talk that he actually tanked his workout with Cleveland so he could go to the Bucks. He wanted to go to Milwaukee, amazingly, in part due to the proximity to his hometown of Chicago. And I don't think that him leaving at this point in a vacuum is the worst thing in the world because we talked about how in the Bucks preview that making a commitment to Parker at this time didn't make sense for where the Bucks were. He was too high risk and the Bucks really need at this point, you know, Giannis will have only two years left on his contract after this season. They're going to try to be players in 2019 free agency and that they really needed someone who would be more reliable than Parker, both in terms of health and in terms of just what he could be uh, in contributing to winning basketball. And they felt like, with, especially with the Eric Bledsoe trade now, they've got Chris Middleton as well as a scorer. They've got Malcolm Brogdon who can work with the ball in his hands. And of course, they have Giannis. So I think the feeling was they have enough scoring, whereas a team like the Bulls perhaps doesn't, although uh, with the re-signing of, of Zach Levine, or Zach Levine, I should say, uh, they may have it. So not bringing back Parker made sense. But I think that certainly if the choice to me was Brooke Lopez and Ursan Ilyasova or bringing back Jabari on this contract, if he actually would have agreed to this contract with the Bucks, and perhaps he wouldn't have, perhaps he just wanted out and it seemed like he was kind of fed up with the team, you know, based on some of his comments. But if they could have gotten him on this contract, Danny, would you have preferred what they did or would you have preferred they keep him for one more year and, and see how he developed? I would have rolled the dice on Jabari. I mean, he's su- such a talented guy. And even though he does overlap, at least he's, you know, has the potential to become much more than he is. And with the team option, it probably then would have been them matching an offer and being a non-guarantee. Let's say they push the envelope that way. Things play out largely the same. That doesn't really make a difference to the Bucks. They could go either way with it. But yeah, I would have preferred that to Ilyasova and Lopez. Argue- I-, I don't Actually, it's not even that really arguably. The moves they did have a significantly higher floor but also a lower ceiling. So, sorry, yeah, the moves they did had a higher floor and a lower ceiling. Parker would have been the other way. So, yeah, it it is a little bit frustrating from their perspective. Even though there wasn't a great way to use it, I've been pretty adamant that Giannis's best position defensively is the four. Jamari Parker's best position defensively is the four as well. But it also makes sense, while he didn't have the leverage to demand this, that Jabari would rather play on a theoretically identical contract with the Chicago Bulls than with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, it does seem that way. And and we'll get to the Bulls, of course. I think the other thing, and this is getting back to Feldman's piece and the point of, oh, you can usually get something. Well, in any other market, I mean, this has just been maybe the weirdest market that we've ever seen, even more so than 2016, because 2016, you know, you kind of knew what was going to happen. Everyone's going to get overpaid, right? Well, this year there wasn't that much money, but then also the number of one-year deals as well and so there really was not a market for Jabari number one to get an offer sheet but you to demand any kind of a long-term offer from the Bucks right because what we were saying about Jabari and why the Bucks shouldn't bring him back when we did their offseason preview was well it, it's either Jabari or it's 2019 cap space right but in theory they could have had Jabari and uh, had their 2019 cap space as well although there's a lot of teams going that route so maybe they could if Jabari had played well this year they could have held on to him now maybe his relationship with Giannis wasn't that great I would have loved to have seen what he could have done uh working with uh coach Budenholzer but nonetheless uh Jabari is now gone and we will talk about him from the Bulls perspective right after this from our friends at Dollar Shave Club 
which delivers everything, not merely razors, that you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, rear wipes, which uh, I think are really becoming an essential these days. Toilet paper alone, at least in my personal opinion, is not good enough. All of their products are made with top shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. And shipping is free with your membership. The way to get started with them, you can try all of their stuff. Their daily essentials starter set for just five dollars at the link dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace of course we talk about all the time on the program that daily essential starter set comes with body cleanser their one wipe charlies those uh, rear wipes their world famous shave butter and their best razor that six blade executive keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month you could add in shampoo toothpaste anything else you need once again that link is dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace use that slash capspace url let them know that you came from us good deal or bad deal for chicago day bad deal overall but not as bad as it would have been if it had been a straight 240 like i thought it was going to be originally this is what it happens every once in a while where you get the kind of toxic shock that happens when or when you hit when you see a deal but then it gets mitigated by it being a lot better the team option makes a huge difference here but i mean jabari parker for 20 million this year when you think about the other you know the other options that were on the table for that 20 million one of which was basically exactly what brooklyn got denver's first round pick i would personally in especially in Chicago circumstance I would rather have Denver's top 12 protected first round pick for the next couple of years than Jabari Parker especially because retaining Jabari Parker is going to be more expensive there is an argument to be made that he has a higher ceiling than the players who will be available at let's call it the 14th pick in the 2019 draft but even if you decline that team option at that point so you would have sufficient probably non-bird rights to retain him but he's unrestricted could go wherever he wants and maybe that 20 million is good enough well then that 20 million comes like you pick that up then that comes out of cap space and then at that point he's an unrestricted free agent you have early bird rights which might be enough to which would be enough to retain him but still you get in all that stuff so it's not as awful as i had feared but i still don't like it so your reason for not liking it is basically the opportunity cost uh, that's the biggest thing well no and the fit is absolutely awful too i mean you have all all that as well and that it's just this strange identity crisis for the chicago bulls where they have all of these players that don't really make sense together and there isn't really a way to cobble together i actually thought ben golliver made a, a really interesting point about this we did a live reaction of sorts on real jam radio because it ha- it broke as we were recording and what he said which i thought was insightful was that this is yet another crazy challenge for fred hoiberg to deal with i mean you go back to the three alphas and the spacing that they dealt with last year's just insanity with that team losing jimmy butler and everything else now they have a bunch of all offense no defense guys they also have figuring out how larry marketing fits into all this and i feel a lot of sympathy for fred hoiberg because this team doesn't make much sense start with the the first point the idea of the opportunity cost from denver now you'd imagine that perhaps denver could have extracted a slightly better deal if they had two potential suitors in the bulls in brooklyn as opposed to one and so to say that exactly that deal is out there maybe not maybe the protection on the pick would have been a little bit better but you know you can imagine probably a first could have been forthcoming there would I rather have that first in what is supposed to not be a great draft or Jabari? I am more of a Jabari believer than probably just about anyone still. Uh, I believe that he has the potential to be a number one scorer uh, on a team and to do so efficiently. 
I think that he shows some passes or some flashes passing the ball that that's something that can become a better part of his game I think that he could be really a great ISO score now obviously there's the health risk obviously there's the risk that he really just hasn't been a winning player in his career especially defensively he did show that those very very brief flashes in the Celtics series doesn't seem like he's coming into a situation where it's really going to be that great and and playing him at the three is not good and we joked about this earlier what it would be like defensively with he and Levine both starting I don't think that really matters that much to be honest because while Bulls fans are talking about making the playoffs this year I, I don't think that that's particularly realistic I haven't really sat down and looked at the competition and thought about this team quite yet but you know they won 27 a year ago their point differential is a lot worse than that and like half the games they won were because Nikola Mirotic was on fire in the month of December and they went like 10 and 6 or something so with him gone who knows how much Robin Lopez is going to play anymore you know they're just they're too young and they they have a lot of holes Levine I, I I'm I feel a lot better about them having jabari than them having levine uh if i knew that jabari would be coming on this deal which they must have had somewhat of an inkling about at the time they matched on levine that makes the levine signing to me look a lot worse i think jabari just has a a lot more upside as the score than levine does um there's also the fact that uh this is a very very low risk contract and especially with the team option they can decline that if it, it doesn't work out now they're not if it were a non-guarantee with a later guarantee date they would have been able to make their decision on Jabari after having a good idea of where the market was going and what they might be able to get next year so they will have to decide by June 29th they might even have negotiated an earlier option date but they could also potentially bring him back next year if things work out and if they keep him around for the two years, presumably he's playing pretty well. The early bird rights would be plenty to resign him if, in fact, he does get up to that star level. Which, again, I'm not saying there's that that's likely. I'm not even saying there's like a 25% chance. But Jabari Parker, to me, still has enough talent that I think it's worth taking a risk on him. And, you know, having him on my roster that re- for a team that you know as successful as some say the rebuild is going and i'm a little more skeptical they did not have a player with this type of upside anywhere on the roster and just to get that you know the small chance that he works out that he becomes a big star that he stays healthy clearly there is not much of a a chance there but to get a player with that type of upside and the only opportunity cost is you know maybe we could have gotten a first round pick that wouldn't have even come due until next year and you know might not have been even a pick in the top 15 I think that that's fine and it's such low risk uh and they have enough flexibility that if it really does work out they could retain him they'll have to pay but they could retain him uh, I think it's a good move I I honestly do now the fit is going to suck this year playing with the three that's not great you know their their best prospect is Larry Markin and he plays at the four maybe he could play a little bit at the five but uh, and they could switch a lot but either way you're not looking like a, a very good defensive team maybe they bring Levine off the bench eventually and start holiday maybe they end up bringing jabari off the bench who who knows uh what does this mean for chris dunn who's almost never going to have the ball now what does it mean for markinen who probably is not going to get nearly enough shots or or wendell carter for that matter with jabari and zach levine both jacking up shots to the extent they're both healthy at the same time it's going to be really weird but let's remember like you know zach levine could just end up being a six man you know jabari could end up being a six man or maybe you won't even be on the team i think just if jabari hits nobody's going to be complaining about the fit they're going to say wow we got this really awesome player and if he doesn't hit then you let him go in a year and it's fine and if you're complaining about 
how it all is going to look this year you know i think that's really an ancillary concern frankly it's almost better if they're you know not a great team this year but if the individual guys can look pretty good well i think there are a couple of different other things i want to mention one is there it's it's good to note that we're really talking about the bulls theoretically taking on a single year contract or combination of contracts because after the levine contract it didn't look like taking on 1920 salary in a dump would make sense for them because then you start to get into like the yeah. the 30 million dollar range so the field was really narrow it was more like them or theoretically if if okc had been able to give up something in the in like a mellow deal but their first round picks are impacted due to the grant trade so they have all their own stuff going on there so it is true that the 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 opportunities there were very very limited the other part and this is uh something that i've talked about before in terms of point guard play and the orlando magic have been an example here phoenix depending on how we still don't know how the rotation is going to work out this year is that Having a a flawed mix of players can make it harder to evaluate the guys that you have. And I think that there could be an element of that in place for the Bulls for this coming year. Now, there is a fair argument to be made that there aren't that many players that they need to evaluate right away. Wendell Carter, you know, teenage center. You could take a little bit of time with him. Markinen still have two more years left after this year on his rookie scale contract. I think they have a pretty good, you know, this year isn't going to nuke the evaluations of him. I think you got that. So, but that actually requires taking a kind of a lower ta- a lower stance more in line with what you and I feel about the Bulls than maybe what the more optimistic people are. So it will be harder, I think, to evaluate Levine, Dunn, Parker, Markinen, Chandler Hutchinson. Don't forget campaign. Campaign, Chandler Hutchison, Denzel Valentine, all those guys. It'll be harder to evaluate them with this mix of players. I don't think that evaluation matters that much, but I want to make sure we talked about it because that is important when we start to think about these players moving forward. I mean, you can even go... This is a more extreme example, but you can think about somebody like Ben McElmore. Like when we got a couple of years in, and it, what I mean, I thought he sucked, but I, I wasn't completely sure because that situation had been so flawed. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that hard to evaluate them offensively. Defensively, yeah, you know, it's it, it's probably going to be pretty rough out there. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's pretty clear. And then and done. You know, I mentioned what happens with him. You know, he can't shoot, and if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's kind of useless at this point. Maybe his jumper will have come along. They're going to need him to play some defense. You know, between they've got him, they've got Carter, and they've got robin lopez and lopez is really kind of more of an average defensive player carter is a rookie so really done is the only guy because they also moved on from david nuaba's restricted free agency to open up just you know another 1.7 million no i'm sorry that's not even correct it's about a million no well actually it, it is 1.7 million because they, they had have enough guys enough guys okay. in their roster already that there weren't any roster holds involved but yeah so they opened up another 1.7 million in cap space by uh dumping his qualifying offer he could potentially still come back but it sounds like that's not really in the plans anymore which is too bad because i think he actually you know someone who can help hustle and defend on the wing could be useful uh if they're staggering jabari and levine as much as possible and you know you don't know how many minutes jabari's gonna be playing you know how many minutes levine's gonna be playing either so it could be less of a problem than people anticipate those two guys together they've still got bobby portis on this team another guy who can't defend to save his life denzel valentine can't stop anybody Markinen tries, but uh, he's limited as far as his rim protection. He's he could move his feet better than expected, but still not great for most NBA players. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens uh, with the team. I don't expect them to be very good, but I think they will be very. They'll be interesting uh, at least to, to uh, bring Jabari home. And 
I actually think the move is fine, but I'm I totally understand those who are like, yeah, you know, this isn't that great. I'd rather have the pick than Jabari. I get that. That's it's still my belief. I, I love guys who really have the upside. I believe that he has it. You know, the two ACLs is not great either. So the, there's a lot of risk with him, but it's not a risky contract. And uh, you know, if we're talking about a pick late in the teens i think i would rather have a one-year tryout possibly two for jabari this also goes in line with something that we've talked about earlier in the offseason about teams that were awful league pass teams last year getting a lot more interesting i'm not sure this makes the bulls better but it certainly makes them a team i will watch more often so i'm excited about that also in conclusion mark barlstein is a master oh my god his client what he wanted to to get the bucks to let jabari out I, i mean now the bucks you know they couldn't have matched this deal anyway but to let have the bucks let him out just essentially as a favor uh rather than because the bucks just like since they're hard capped didn't have enough room to match on, on this contract anyway but at least to get the structure that jabari wanted with the team option rather than the non-guarantee uh that was required or getting the bucks to rescind the qualifying offer and, and you say oh it was after july 13th why could they rescind the qualifying offer well you can rescind the qualifying offer after july 13th as long as you also have the player's permission and of course the player was uh totally happy to accede as well where do you want to go next let's go to the rebuffing so the philadelphia 76ers <laughs> according to friend of the podcast mark stein have been rebuffed in their attempt to hire away daryl morey as their new general manager it makes complete sense that they would have interest daryl morey is great at his job just one executive of the year I don't want to read too much into this. I understand why they would go after him. I will not read into it that Houston has a new owner or anything like that. But, you know, good good job on them for going after the the best person in the room. Now we'll see who their future priorities are because going after Maury, who has been very pragmatic, who has valued flexibility overall, though, of course, now the Rockets are in a very different place, but also done a really good job of finding guys in the kind of the right niche. And I think that's even been true this year with the Rockets that would be a really good fit for the Sixers so it's unfortunate for them but we'll see if they look more in that vein or for something very different in their next priority briefly here it is rather ironic that oh the the Sam Hinkie era was so miserable oh yeah but we we hired Hinkie from Daryl Morey's staff in Houston and now we really want Daryl Morey <laughs> like I guess whatever happened with Hinkie didn't sour them uh, on Morey to be sure and, and Daryl is one of the best GMs in the in the game also you know Houston would have been under no obligation to let Maury out of his contract i'm not sure how much i think he just signed a contract extension after that 16 17 season so i think he's got a long way to go on his contract still uh, as well really quickly danny if you were daryl Maury, assume that the money were the same and the power were the same would you stay in houston or would you go to philly i'd go to philly because for me building a team is more interesting than maintaining a team houston is certainly a championship contender and i mean they're they're in the mix for being the second best team in the league for this coming season they were a chris paul hamstring injury away from winning the nba title this year so i just think that's a less interesting job i would love to see it through to its finish if i thought that houston was going to to win a championship in the next couple of years and they certainly could i just would say that's you know less likely and with philly there's some real decisions left to be made especially after they struck out on paul george and lebron and i would love to be the one to make that decision philly is one of the few jobs i would leave the rockets for yeah for daryl i mean i don't know daryl that well but i know him a little bit and also based on his public comments you know he's all about taking big risks to get into championship contention and 
he's there right now even if you, you know they're not favored we'll see what ends up happening with the rest of, of their summer we talked about james ennis on last week's program and actually one thing that i wanted to say is i think it's entirely possible that ennis could work out better than luke Mute. um and he came cheaper as well we'll see what, what kind of what they can do with that clay but yeah i understand why gerald want to stay so he's been working so hard to get to this point for so long and to leave now i think there's no way that you'd feel like he could do that uh the Knicks waived Troy Williams, interestingly enough. So I, does this mean we don't have to talk about him on the, on the Summer League podcast? Well, we'll see if by the time we get there in the alphabet in like three weeks, if he's gotten signed anywhere else. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that kind of lines things up for the Knicks in terms of getting their roster, their roster spots together. Because if we assume that they wave and stretch no, and I'm actually going to write a piece about that for the Athletic New York at some point in the next three weeks. Um but they're you know they can make that work i didn't love what i saw from williams and several but we'll of course talk about that later on one that i think and and this gets to a broader point that i want to talk about shabazz napier signed a two-year deal with the brooklyn nets second year team option i'm assuming it's for the minimum i haven't heard that definitively but it it, they don't have much space the nets so it can't really be for for much in that area they already used their room emily on a davis so this gets to something that i think was is a good tell for kind of of impatient or petulant front offices around the league, which is the margin between some of the guys who signed and Shabazz Napier is not nearly as big as their salary difference. And the same thing is true for James Ennis, Travion Graham, whatever Greg Monroe gets, Brooke Lopez, a lot of these other guys. I mean, you could even see that with the Ersan Ilyasova guaranteed money versus Anthony Tolliver or Bielitsa or some of those other guys. And I think that is especially in a team friendly market like this the franchises and the front offices that said this is our guy really lost out unless that player was actually really good and a lot of times they valued this sort of specialization when like Shabazz Napier he's really good for you could even talk about this with with Seth Curry on on the Blazers I mean I I I think Seth Curry has a lot of talent if he's healthy Napier was better for them than I would expect Steph Curry to be this year and so Seth Curry Seth Seth Curry. Close enough. <laughs> that, was, that was a Freudian slip yeah. right there. Same same yeah. guy. That's why I gave him so much on, for Charlotte in the mock-off season. But I think that these teams just said, this is our guy, and, and, and spent all this money. And we knew that some people were going to get left out in the cold, even some unrestricted free agents. And teams should be jumping on these guys, but also made mistakes. Can I start calling him Shaz Napier? No. Well, that's all the license I need. Uh yeah, we'll see whether this is a non-guarantee or, or a team option on the second year. And I actually have Brooklyn with $2.7 million in cap space remaining. So it is possible that it, it could be slightly more than the minimum. We don't have exact numbers on Dwight Howard's buyout and whether Joe... Uh, well, actually, Joe's still uh, hasn't signed yet. Um, so he's still on it, his minimum cap hold for now. Lonzo Ball will, in fact, have arthroscopic surgery. He's expected ready for the season. And here's one where, and he does in fact have a meniscus tear. Sounds like if he's expected ready for the season, this will be a trim rather than the repair, which is, you know, four to six months, slightly longer than that at times. But remember when we were talking about how insane it was that Lonzo Ball was playing like 41, 42 minutes a game? after he had missed a bunch of time with that MCL and Jeff Stotts noting that sometimes incident to an MCL you can have some meniscus damage as well unclear whether that damage occurred 
when he messed up the mcl in the middle of the season whether it occurred over time or whether it occurred when he actually banged knees you remember it was a contusion is what he missed the end of the season with so that wouldn't necessarily you would think be the issue with the meniscus so maybe that he was playing on that meniscus or maybe he you know caused more wear and tear during that period but we don't know that him playing like 40 minutes a game when they had absolutely nothing to play for yeah I, I know they didn't have many guys available they were so injured but there was just absolutely no reason to be doing that and we don't know that that caused this but it probably wasn't too smart oh he's young he could play that he'll be fine uh he's not fine he's not fine and, and this is basically now going to be a wasted off season for Lonzo. I mean, he's definitely gotten bigger, but in terms of his shot, in terms of actually playing summer league, getting some, some more live basketball, it's not going to be great. And we'll see what kind of shape he's in to start the season. He's going to be in a competition with Rajon Rondo. So Rondo could end up starting over him, which uh, would not be good because Lonzo is way better than Rondo. But it really... It's too bad that we've just have not been able to see Lonzo healthy at all. And he's one of these guys. I mean, we always talk about bus and the thing that people forget about with the guys who are bus is that, and Lonzo played well last year, so I'm not going to call him a bus, but guys who don't live up to expectations is they'll suffer injuries early on. You know, Johnny Flynn is viewed as one of the biggest busts in history, but you know, he messed up his hip and he was never the same. And so, you know, this seems like it's not a major surgery, but you never know with these guys and, and he could, he's really struggled with soreness and you know losing some of your meniscus is not great for your long-term health anything on that or should we move on the only thing i want to mention is just that the first off season is a big opportunity for guys to work on their games knowing what the nba entails and we've seen a lot of guys work on stuff i mean especially point guards jamal murray you know got a lot better during that year also the adjustments that you make and losing that time hurts i mean uh, you brought up you brought up johnny flynn i think malik monk is another worthwhile example here where he never i think he battled injuries through through his off seasons as well so that's oh through last well, through his pre-draft stuff and everything else so we'll, we'll see how that how that can happen let's stick with la point guards dealing with lower body injuries milos Tadosic had i it was it was an interesting one we talked about a lot in their offseason preview because it was this player option that was partially guaranteed and he picked up his player option and the clippers actually fully guaranteed his contract i believe it's about 6.1 million dollars and that doesn't affect them in terms of the lecture tax at all by deandre jordan leaving their free and clear of all that but it does leave the clippers with 15 guaranteed contracts plus patrick beverly who's still non-guaranteed montrez harrell who is still restricted and cj williams who's still non-guaranteed so they're going to have to figure this out that could be a consolidation trade that could just be waving some guys who aren't good or aren't as good but we'll have to see how the clippers make all this work and they're going to have a super deep roster yeah and as we said there really was no reason not to just guarantee him right other than just straight money uh, because you know and i think he can still be a valuable player they liked what he brought last year when he was healthy there had been some reporting that they would actually move on from him but where they are right now I and mean, there's really no opportunity cost to keeping him uh they've already used their mle they still have their BL bae available and they're still got breathing room below the tax so might as well guarantee the guy and we'll see what ends up happening i still think that sam decker west johnson seem the the most likely guys to just get waived even if it's not going to be a, a buyout well, and here. juan evans is should, I, somebody else who will talk about oh yeah yeah dallas has rescinded the qualifying offer of yogi ferrell 
yogi actually made the starter criteria so his qualifying offer was 2.9 million and when you're a restricted free agent your cap hold is the larger of your qualifying offer or your cap hold his cap hold without a qualifying offer is just the minimum and so the qualifying offer they rescinded it prior to the deadline but that doesn't mean that they can't still bring him back as well if they have an agreement they won't want to do that yet because that would bump him up above that minimum cap hold but they got a little more room and now after doing that and remember also they'll still have early bird rights on him by keeping his cap hold even though he's no longer restricted with the qualifying offer so they got plenty of room to pay him something and in fact it would behoove them probably to just say hey give us the extra cap space we'll pay you a little extra this year i mean they could even get him on a one-year deal and have him be restricted again next year but pay him a, a pretty good amount this year for him playing ball so the indications are that he will return and that now opens up about six million in space they could bump that up closer to seven million if they moved on from dorian finney smith oh no dorian finney smith is actually guaranteed now never mind and so as maxi kleba i believe we haven't heard about him getting waived so i think he's guaranteed as well unless he's moved his guarantee date back so yeah looking like about 5.7 million or so in space and then that would leave the room exception for dirk or they just pay dirk a little bit more and the room exception is open remains to be seen what they have up their sleeve if anything the Mavs also signed Jalen Brunson to a four-year deal with three years guaranteed which is actually a lot of years guaranteed but probably uh right at the minimum you would guess and and so Brunson will eat into their cap space a little bit more as well because to go four years they got to use some cap space so they might even be a little bit lower well that, than but, that five million or so but now. they had they weren't at the roster minimum so I think he just replaces one of the holds so it doesn't really do too much damage there because they don't have that many guys signed on their roster at this point they're going to get more but we'll, we'll see they're, they're a lot of ways this could be structured it could be like the isaac bonga deal where they paid him more than the minimum and then it drops to the minimum there are a lot of ways dallas could structure their offseason yeah i actually have them at 12 having signed broke off and uh with Doncic on the rocker roster as well um and Farrell's cap hold but in any event it, they don't have a ton of space but they got more hmm. <laughs> by uh by moving I, I i mean i think maybe what this even was just with Farrell is let's leave the same amount of cap space open that we already had so we could if we sign brunson we sign broke off finney smith and kleba guarantee and we still have that same chunk of money left so that maybe that's what, what the thinking is the cleveland Cavaliers have actually signed someone uh unfortunately for them it's the one position that they actually had a, a fair amount of depth at already with tristan thompson channing fry and, and ante zizic i'm sorry tristan thompson larry nance and ante zizic but they have now signed channing fry one year 2.4 million i believe that this is a missed opportunity fry presumably you know likes going back to cleveland he's a vet leader blah blah but i still think you know we didn't get to see him play outside of cleveland because he, he had that appendicitis and basically didn't play at all in la but i think i've said for a long time that having a shooting center like him is great for the development of teams i think he actually could have really helped the lakers ironically enough on the same deal although it seems like they are very much just not interested in playing centers on that team which, which is interesting. That could help some with some of the spacing concerns that we foresee with them. If they're playing LeBron at center, you know, I, I could get on board with that. So, yeah, I think this is a little bit of a missed opportunity for some other teams around the league to get Fry as a, a decent enough backup center even now. I also think to a point it was a missed opportunity for Cleveland just because 
you have a limited number of roster spots on this team. They have a you know they don't have a ton of flexibility. That they still have their mid level. They have whatever is happening with Rodney Hood, and they still have a tr- a trade exception. I actually, wrote about this in the piece for the Athletic that they could end up using yeah. depending on how the money that they still have to spend gets allocated. And yeah. They have one three on the roster right now. Like maybe you might want to like take a, a few bites at the apple there instead of you know getting your fifth center. Right, on the Espe- especially a center who, who provides zero log term upside. I mean, Channing Fry. I like Channing Fry, but they don't really need to go in that route. Though this does lead to uh, yeah, if- they don't have any power forwards either. Like Kevin Love is the only power forward. If they ever want to play Love at, at center, they almost won't be able to at this point because they just won't have anyone else to play power forward unless they're gonna they got jetty and and corver and maybe rodney hood if he returns i mean those guys are all really almost twos defensively right and so it'll be a strange roster i am intellectually intrigued by the idea that they are going to kind of keep that they might keep this together trades can happen at any point cleveland knows that better than damn near anybody but we'll see where it goes the last piece of news that uh, I, I think is interesting for a reason that I haven't heard anybody discuss yet. Dante Cunningham signed a one-year contract with the Spurs. I like Dante Cunningham. I think he's a worthy rotation player. If they got him at the minimum, that's a, a nice contract. But the Spurs, I, I think this puts them at about 14 contracts. We still don't know what's going on with Manu. But it's interesting because I don't think they have a true backup center on their roster. Joffrey Laverne declined his player option and is now playing overseas. Metu, who they drafted in the second round, has not yet signed. And even then, that would be a, 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 a rookie playing as a backup center. Dante Cunningham is, is a four to me more than anything else, though he has been periodically miscast as a three. And San Antonio doesn't really have that many roster spots left. So I'm I'm kind of interested with how that turns out, but especially with Pau Gasol's injury history, but it's not that big a deal. Yeah, he's got a little bit better defensive option than Bertans. Rudy Gay will certainly get plenty of maintenance this year, you would suspect. They got plenty of backup center, I think, you know, between Gasol and Aldridge, and then you know, maybe they'll have uh, Chimizy Metu on, on a two-way or something like that, uh, although he fractured his wrist instantly. Really he was their second-round pick, uh, kind of athletic center, who, whom we'll talk about later. But yeah, this is a fine signing uh, for the minimum, and, and as long as they don't try and play him at the three too much, I think it'll be just fine and obviously who knows what this team is going to look like uh, if and when Kawhi Leonard is traded and technically he is now eligible for that Supermax extension he signed a little bit later it's got to be three years after he signed his previous contract but he is now eligible for that uh, no word uh, on whether he will be offered that or not yet all right let's do a read and uh, talk a little summer league here I know for a lot of people, especially maybe some of our younger listeners, you might have a, a little bit of credit card debt. When I actually graduated from college and was looking for a job and I took the LSAT, I ran up a little bit of credit card debt. And it would have been really nice if I could have consolidated that instead of, you know, it took me years to pay that off because the interest rates were so high. You could save hundreds to thousands of dollars if you just lowered your interest rate. And Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR if you enroll in auto pay. That is a lot lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 18% APR. And you could get your funds as soon as the day you apply. They believe that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees at Lightstream. As mentioned, you might guess that if you can get your funds uh, as soon as the day you apply, their site is really easy to use and navigate. And if you use my special link at lightstream.com slash capspace, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash capspace, you can get an additional interest rate discount 
on top of their already low rates that's lightstream.com slash cap space let them know that slash cap space url that you came from us it is subject to credit approval rate includes 0.5 percent auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com for more information well part of why it took us so long here is the atlanta hawks were probably the team i was actually most interested to watch in summer league and that of course was due in large part to trey young i had him as number two on my board which was a lot higher than many others had him although perhaps not travis schlank uh i'll leave it to you first danny just what your overall impressions were of him i got a bunch of stats obviously but just overall how did he confirm your opinions about him and maybe was there anything that you were surprised by there wasn't much that surprised me i think it was pretty close overall to the full trey young experience largely bifurcated by his this transition from utah to vegas one stat that i think is really telling he had a 22.5 per obviously we're dealing with ludicrously small sample sizes here 22.5 per in vegas 2.9 per in utah and so you saw that when his jump shot is not falling the whole thing looks pretty ugly i think he still was underrated as a passer during utah summer league but on the whole you know it it, it can be a challenge when that isn't going i think my my biggest concern with him especially considering how slight his frame is is that he wasn't creating a ton of separation use you know just using his own handle there were times when he did and so the idea that he's going to force the defense to panic once he's inside the arc is a concern he's great at passing it through smaller windows but if the windows don't get a little bit bigger that gets tough so I I think you got a lot of those types of things in Trey Young you just had to kind of see what you were looking for at any given moment in time yeah and I think that's right you know a lot of people were freaking out certainly the shooting in Salt Lake City was atrocious 23 percent from the field three out of 24 from downtown and actually only had 13 assists although he was I thought the passing still was okay just uh, they weren't able to convert as well and he definitely got better both in Vegas and then you know I thought his handle actually looked tighter he was attacking more aggressively off the dribble he actually did pretty decently on switches as well when he got bigs on him a lot of teams you know were just switching everything because they were really scared of him shooting in the pick and roll however he was much better in iso just i mean this is again tiny sample size being able to get by guys who are overplaying him for the jumper his shot selection out of the pick and roll was so bad uh going to his right just taking really contested shots when he was open obviously he shot it much better you mentioned that so much depends on whether the ball is going to go in but i mean he was taking shots that like you know not even steph curry takes in games you know i mean these are really like you know off balance fading away not getting his feet set going to his right shooting it off his hip barely getting it off over the defense another limitation he had was he really did not look very good going to his left whether it was shooting or trying to drive didn't really finish very well with his left hand the overall finishing around the basket was not good only four for 11 but he was able to help his efficiency a lot with his bullshit foul drawing and he is i said this and it held true at least going through summer league that he is the most advanced bullshit foul drawer i've ever seen at his age i said that on our scouting report earlier and you know whether it's the guy getting his hand in going around the pick and roll and he tries to shoot it whether he just feels contact does the head snap back it's really you know he's got all the tricks uh, already it's pretty impressive and so he actually was able to shoot 
40 free throws in seven games when you consider that he basically never got to the rim uh and he he got some decent looks at the rim i think he shots he was capable of making but just wasn't able to make them uh on that four for 11 but when you consider he wasn't like blowing by guys like drawing help at the rim and getting fouled by the bigs it was all kind of stuff out in the perimeter uh pretty impressive work not really great to watch but you know the ball goes in the basket on those free throws just the same uh what else you got on him well his two-point offense was concerning like just inside the arc so only 11 shots at the rim though some of those were replaced with fouls four for 11 there 15 of 44 on two-point shots and then this is a little bit different but i think of it as inside the arc too he was an awful rebounder overall and you know point guards that's not always a part of their responsibilities but and he wasn't bad in college as i recall uh i'm not sure why it was that you know he had close to 10 percent defensive rebound rate in college but i think he only had 10 rebounds overall in yeah, i think games. it was i think it was 15 and 190 minutes is the is the number that i had in total but that was offense and defense combined so not great yeah and and defensively i thought he cared more than i than he did overall at oklahoma but he has these limitations which are really hard to get better i mean the criticisms that many had of like oh isaiah thomas you know look how teams attack him in the playoffs and yes trey young is substantially taller than isaiah thomas but i think teams are going to hunt him pretty aggressively but it also will be a long time until the hawks are in the situation where that is really going to matter so certainly a concern when you want to talk about what a guy could be as a playoff player but you know it is a little bit of a a a little bit early to to be thinking about that enough oh something else i wanted to talk about with trey young I noticed this live. I noticed this on film. This could just be a scheme thing. It could be a him thing. There's no way to separate it. But he doesn't do nearly enough movement. There's not enough going on when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Like, if you want to compare him to Steph Curry, remember how much for the Twitter NBA show, for those of you who watched it with us, how much we talked about Steph Curry's activity off the ball in those series, whether it was the behind between the legs passes from Jordan Bell or just him running around like a crazy person and getting open looks. Trey Young doesn't do nearly enough of that. And he's going to have to play with that kind of a motor to be an impactful offensive player on every possession yeah and that's borne out in the numbers only 10 catch and shoot attempts and he had 12 points on those uh, and you know off screen i think uh, only three possessions until now his teammates weren't really looking for him including tyler dorsey who who will get to uh, they didn't really have many other passers on this team he doesn't have experience moving off the ball he's a smart enough player in other aspects that i i do believe he will get there as an off-ball player uh, transition again he didn't shoot it that well but had got 27 percent of his offense in transition and that was one of the biggest times i thought that it team his team just didn't understand like to look for him in transition i mean you see how the warriors always look for steph curry four feet behind the three-point line in transition and that's just impossible to guard and trey was open a lot and just didn't get the ball in those situations we haven't talked enough yet about his passing especially in that game against the Pacers which I think was the last game that he played he missed a, a game with a, a thigh contusion they were down 20 came back mostly with him out of the game but then they put him back in and he assisted on five straight buckets out of pick and roll down the stretch it just looked awesome he was getting to the rim getting by guys drawing help setting up great corner threes passing this is something that Schmitz talks about a lot where can you dice up the defense without even breaking into the paint and he was doing that, you know, finding guys rolling to the rim underneath for dunks with his gravity. I thought that actually overall he could have done an even better job of getting off the ball when he had two guys on him. Sometimes he needs to understand that when you've drawn the double team uh, at this level, especially you've done your job. Whereas some, a lot of times, especially going to his right, he would force up like a fadeaway three over two guys when they double team him off the pick and roll. Uh 
the hit ahead passing looked awesome again that was another thing we saw in film in college he's got that and i mean the the passing is translated the best by far and that largely is that happens statistically guys who get a lot of assists in college generally do in the pros as well give you a few, few more stats on him he did turn the ball over on 21 percent of his possessions and had 28 percent usage so we saw how much he turned it over led the nation in turnovers this season that's going to be a major issue just eight out of 42 as the pick and roll ball handler shooting the ball i mentioned how much he struggled there but was much better in iso shooting nine out of 19 which is a solid number there so I think, you know, he got better throughout summer league. You know, people always point to improvement. Like those early games count just as much as the late games do. But it was nice to see how he could be successful. I'm not really worried about him. I Like this was one of those things where he said, all right, if you are a believer in him, you think it's okay. He already just missed some shots. Then he started hitting them in Vegas. And as long as he can hit as well as he hit in Vegas, you know, I think he's going to be what, you know, I really kind of hope that he would be, but it's very early and I still expect him to really suck this year. I think it's going to be a couple of years before he's really able to make his presence felt. And they got Jeremy Lin now, who knows what's going to happen with Schroeder. So he could be brought along a little bit more slowly. Um, and so I think he, I was pleased that the stuff that I saw on film, you know, showed up here as well, the foul drawing, the passing and too small of a sample size to say whether the ball is going to go in on those three pointers or not the shot selection's got to get a little bit better just like in college you know when he was taking decent shots he was hitting them when he was taking bad shots he wasn't and so the question becomes how many good shots is he actually going to be able to get and and if he can't get good shots does he need to dial it down just a little bit and concentrate more on you know playing off the ball as a shooter and being more of a passer and pick and roll as opposed to jacking up shots off the dribble two other quick things one he just happened to get a series of tough defensive assignments that is not an excuse it's just notable that's true javon carter in the first game of utah summer league a guy who does that who gets into dudes frankie smokes in the first game of vegas summer league and nokina did a wonderful job on on young when they were matched up with each other and then throughout the rest of it i he had he, he had some other really long guy in the second yeah, game yeah wade baldwin in uh yeah and baldwin actually has, has improved he has a lot uh, and baldwin's discipline he and he was uh, he was defender. up for that game i was i was at both of those in person and yeah no and, and he's gonna be the type of guy that guys get oh, yeah. up for and you know, and so the uh, other thing for for reference for the rest of these podcasts i'm using basketball reference age for the 1819 season i just think that's the most fair way to do it because a lot of guys happen to their birthday is in like july and august so i just wanted to make sure so okay this is what they are so this will be trey young's age 20 season and that puts him a little bit younger than some of the other point guards especially some of the second round guys who you'll see where like even if they're rookies they're still in their you know they're in the 22 23 range including carter Turn to John Collins now, who, who will be 21 this season. Played almost exclusively at power forward for the summer team. Biggest development here was how aggressive he was looking for the three-pointer out of pick and pop. Some pretty deep attempts, some quick attempts. Shot seven out of 17, only played two games. He had 30 in the first game. Uh, I thought he made some better plays helping at the rim, moving his feet than we had seen from him, certainly last year in summer league during the, the season. He still remains an incredible finisher. I thought also that he was able to make some plays off of closeouts once he started shooting the three that well, able to get to the rim and finish. Not really a passer at this point, but he was able to even actually do some grab and go, which looked better than expected. And once he gets downhill going towards the rim, 
he is really unstoppable trying to finish uh, around the rim I, I thought also even his ability to catch in the mid post face up and get to the rim you know even a couple times he's guarded by wings he's able to blow by guys uh, with the first step so only played two games we don't need to talk about him that much but i thought he came in and did exactly what you would have hoped that he would do he looked like one of those guys who was really kind of too good to be out there and that's that's what you want for a player with his pedigree coming into his second summer league yeah i would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him defensively i still have the question about what his role is on that end and like where he fits in on a good team but what john collins is good at he's very good at and adding the three-point shot at least in the sample size and for me it is also the the fluidity maybe more than how much it, it goes was in or doesn't go in his rebounding was significantly lower than last year but i think some of that was just by virtue of playing more at the four than the five than before also 29.5 percent usage in summer league not really what you represent but that happens when you're one of the best guys on your team and one of the best guys on the floor kevin herter sadly did not play due to that wrist injury that he suffered in the pre-draft process amari spellman taken number 30 this year actually did not start uh jock landale uh, an australian out of saint mary's uh, undrafted started but uh, spellman got the bulk of the minutes uh, he will be 21 uh, this upcoming season the biggest thing that stood out to me is just how quickly how aggressive he was shooting the three no hesitation off the catch gets his feet set quickly on the hop has a quick release almost i compared him on twitter to just in terms of the way he was shooting the ball and his release uh, to most spates you know is he gonna become that level of like shooting savant probably not uh especially based on the 10 out of 34 that he shot on catch and shoots uh did feature well in pick and pops uh, interestingly on spot ups he shot extremely poorly on pick and pops he shot extremely well usually that would be the opposite it's easier to shoot off of a spot up um what did you think on him Danny I thought that a lot of his value is going to come from his shot going in and I wish it had gone in a little bit more but the mechanics were good and and again that's more important in the small sample than the actual percentage defensively I wonder what he is he rebounded well in Utah but then was worse on the boards in Vegas again that could be vir- opportunity we're dealing with small sample sizes all that kind of stuff but I I just don't really know where where he fits into all this and for me when there's a guy who does that that and is more of a big I, I my assumption is oh well maybe you could have gotten a wing that that could be similarly uncertain but there's just more positional value Spellman this is going to be his age 21 season he actually turns 21 in about a week so I, I was fine with him I didn't really really love it but plenty of time for him and and he should have an opportunity to show that he can develop with time and become a part of this Hawks team defensively I think he's interesting somewhat slow afoot but not fatally so goes after shot blocks he is aggressive trying to defend the rim goes after every shot block with his right hand though uh which he could be a lot more versatile as a shot blocker if you go with both hands um very right-handed as well offensively if he gets into the post which is rare it's usually just right hand jump hook they didn't post him up uh, hardly at all though uh, only had three attempts down there with the amount of switching that clearly was not a priority but really you know i think defensively probably profiles in the modern era as a little bit below average due to his lack of quickness and that he does kind of need to load up although he will challenge shots at the rim you know i mean i I compared him to most baits he certainly can be better defensively than most baits a big body you know over 250 pounds but really if he's not going to post up that doesn't do much good for you in the modern game maybe a little bit on the boards as well but again he's going to be outside so much shooting the ball that you know i don't expect him to be a huge force on the offensive glass 
And as a role guy, you know, not really explosive enough to just like go up and and catch alley-oops or you know, doesn't have a ton of speed to roll down the lane and, and suck the defense in. So I, th- I think offensively, it's going to be about the shot, whether it goes in. If it does, and again, I, I was impressed given his experience level, how many of those threes he was able to get off. 33 of his 87 shot attempts were threes. Kind of profiles as a backup center to me, but with the 30th pick, that's not bad. And as a guy who can shoot it, if he becomes a, an elite shooter, and I would say, given the way he looks, that that's not impossible, that he could be a pretty valuable player, maybe a, a lower end starter, even depending on, you know, really how much he's able to translate that solid rim protection into being like an overall good defensive center. The last of Atlanta's recent draft picks, Tyler Dorsey, second rounder last year. This will be his age 22 season. And Dorsey, I'm a little bit conflicted on him because there were, especially early in in his summer league run, I got frustrated because he was just a little bit too, not just a little bit, I sorry, I was sugarcoating that for no damn reason. He was taking way too many shots. So overall in five games, he took 14.8 field goal attempts, 17.6 points on that. So you, you know, he's scoring a lot, but he's taking a ton of shots, 52% true shooting, but he was taking a lot of shots that were just jacks instead of giving Trey Young the opportunity. One that we talked about at the time was a play at the end of a, I think it was the end of half, not a quarter, but it could have been either way where Trey Young was out there and he just never gave Trey Young the ball and took the shot himself. Well, yeah, Trey like ran over to get the ball and Tyler Dorsey just like flicked him off, Uh, which I tweeted at the time that you're a second round pick the previous year, probably better to just give the guy they drafted number five overall the ball, even if you don't think he's that good. And actually by the end of the Pacers game where Young hit a nice floater to seal it, Dorsey actually did give him the ball in that situation. So I think you know that might have been a conversation that was had. He missed some time with the knee injury that almost looked really scary. I was glad that he was okay. He's going to turn uh, uh, 22 this season. And it is worth noting that he can heat up quite a bit uh, from the outside, especially off the dribble. He looks good. A very smooth shot. He can use the threat of that dribble. He's also a solid ball handler, has some moves. To get to the rim but only was six out of 16 at the rim which uh, paralleled something that i saw from him during the regular season as well it really did not finish well around the rim and, and part of that too is that his, his wingspan is pretty limited only six foot five so he really is a one position defender at the two you know he's not like an intense defensive player uh, either you know to where he, he could play down and guard ones uh, particularly well if you're in a non-switching scheme uh but uh, i was impressed with the number of threes that he was able to to get up. I mean, he's shooting basically played five games. He shot 43. So he's taken eight threes a game and he hit a, a solid 37% of those. And so pretty difficult attempts. And, and he was a big part of them making that 20 point comeback against the Pacers, bombing some threes. So he's a guy who has some talent, you know, maybe profiles as kind of a poor man's Jamal Crawford type of guy. But, you know, the assists weren't there with the number of shots that he was taking only 15 assists in 150 minutes with the the number that that he was jacking and also you know when he'd get to the rim he would a lot of times take like really a no chance attempt at a finish and instead of driving to look for a teammate so that's something you know he's gonna have to edit that selfishness out of his game but he does in terms of his handle his ability to shoot off the dribble like he does have some nba skills that shot looks pretty smooth to me but you know the question becomes what else he does now 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair description of, of what I've seen from him. Do you want to talk about some of the other kind of fringier guys that the Hawks had on their summer league team? Yeah, uh, Alpha Kaba, I think is, is how you pronounce it. Actually, superficially, a great set. It's a 30.5 PR, but he really only does two things. He blocked shots. He had 12 blocks in 154 minutes. That was a 7% block rate, paralleling what he was able to do in, in Europe playing for Lyon this year. He also had 20 offensive rebounds, 18% offensive rebound rate. He was around... 17 percent last year in europe but really doesn't do much else uh you know he's not particularly explosive has a lot of length but you know unless you throw the alley-oop like right next to the rim he's not gonna be able to dunk it down not a great finisher a lot of those offensive rebounds actually would come off of repeated tips and attempts as he would miss the first one but you know I, I actually was interested in him due to his statistical performance and his length really stood out when you're watching the game but he's also kind of slow i think that's really his biggest problem especially defensively where you know if he has to get out on the floor at all guys can blow by him and then that shot blocking is really a lot less effective so without great explosion without great quickness moving his feet defensively you know kind of profiles as a third center type you know not as big or as slow as this guy but kind of like you know a smaller eddie Tavares type of guy you know and really no indication that he's got any kind of range away from the basket at all you know very short range hooks on occasion so he's gonna be 22 this year probably not a guy i expect to see have much of an nba career maybe you know could be a third center type of guy at times um you got anything on him or there's a term in baseball that i think is appropriate for Cabo, which is a quadruple a guy so that's basically somebody who's too good for triple a but probably shouldn't be in the majors and i just think that with the way the big man positions are going in the league that there isn't a spot for him unless he gets a lot better and at 22 he certainly can just has to yeah i always kind of think of the quadruple a guys more as like the big scorer guys in the g league and you know the sean sean kilpatrick type of guys you know who can uh, or like jordan crawford or those uh, those guys are probably actually maybe even a little bit too good um antonio blakeney who we'll get to might be another one of those guys uh antonius cleveland really just has not been able to quite be what he was advertised to be and he's already 24 and he spent time in golden state system then was signed by by dallas then went to atlanta uh his three-point shooting you know he was a little more aggressive shooting the three was taking some slightly more difficult attempts but it was only one out of 13 in over 200 minutes so 13 attempts is not particularly promising only had 16 free throw attempts as well in those 200 minutes um eight assists in his the nine games that he played and only 10 steals and two blocks and so this is a guy the idea behind him is oh man this guy is unbelievably athletic if he ever can get the jumper figured out like then you got a player well he doesn't look like he's much closer to getting the jumper figured out he's made some progress but you know still not even close to being where he needs to be to to be a a quality nba three-point shooter and then we just didn't see those crazy athletic plays that are supposed to be the foundation of his game really at all. And so if he's not making all these plays in the floor game and he's not hitting the three hard to find a place for him jalen adams uh out of saint bonaventure which uh tim bontemps will tell you means he's not any good uh just kidding tim i thought actually that he really looked good shooting the three off the dribble um also had 11 steals in 123 minutes played mostly as a backup point guard but started some when trey young was out with that thigh contusion and shot it well from downtown 12 out of 32 showed some deep range uh the ability to shoot off the dribble i I didn't think that he showed amazing vision um 
with 17 assists uh, but good handle not incredibly explosive but the the shooting off the dribble was the one thing that did stand out to me and so he'll be on a two-way I think you know he's someone who might be able to eventually have a career as kind of like you know like a DJ Augustin light type of backup point guard I, I liked what I saw from him you know obviously relative to the the fact that he's on a two-way contract yeah i like that jalen adams can get buckets and on a two-way contract you can make this work because one of the underappreciated parts of this offseason has been the leverage that these teams have had except for the denver nuggets a team that is not always the best at executing leverage at keeping these guys around i mean wallace we both thought should get more offers and so theoretically if he works out i think the hawks can the hawks can make that work either by you know just making doing what the warriors did with quinn cook or wielding his restricted rights next summer i assume he's on a one-year two-way contract i think the only two-year one i've heard of was billy preston with the Cavs. so i like adams we'll have to see how it works out but i'm happy happy for him to get that opportunity so brooklyn and boston were actually those are gonna be liam's teams we will check in with him in a future episode he was interning at sports business classroom this week so he's not quite ready yet he's gonna have to catch up uh, on film a little bit more um charlotte miles bridges drafted number 12 he'll play this season at age 20 the three ball was not working for him six out of 30 didn't look quite comfortable from nba range no he didn't and i think that can get there i for me it didn't look like there's anything just like massively wrong with his shot and he still was you know 24 percent usage is fine you know i didn't think he didn't look scared to me out there and he was taking six threes per game so nothing really wrong there Something I I was struck by seeing him in person, and I was happy that the first games I saw were in person as opposed to on film. He looked a little smaller in terms of height and frame than I had expected, but he showed plenty of pounds. I mean, he got up for some stuff. And so overall, I think that is a little bit of a concern just because that frame is important if he's going to be guarding kind of those bigger threes. It was something that was a part of his appeal when we talked about him as a draft prospect. And it might have just been, you know, the NBA guys are a lot bigger than even, you know, at a big college like Michigan State, who you go against so we'll see but uh, there was still a lot that i liked from him yeah most of that was just that the guy plays hard like many a michigan state product when you consider you know these really six six with the you know i think six nine wingspan like not not a huge length guy but he is a very explosive off of two feet and just i love how he hits the offensive glass eight percent offensive rebound rate for a guy his size is outstanding 19 percent defense defensive rebound rate and he didn't make mistakes at least either didn't turn it over very much i mean that six of 30 from three-point range is concerning he's shooting kind of a set shot and i think that's good for him because you can get your legs into it a little bit more but still would kind of be a little bit off balance didn't quite have the footwork ready wasn't really hopping into his shop wasn't necessarily getting his feet set as well as you would like and he's taking some difficult attempts he looked comfortable taking shots but nonetheless you know six for 30 is not great that's 20 percent. but we'll see that perhaps you know it's a small sample size i'm not going to kill him as a shooter but not a lot of guys like him come in and just are shooting the three ball great right away you know i'm i'm seeing I'm expecting he's going to be, you know, a 31, 32% three-point shooter this year. Worked a lot out of his spot-ups. You know, they didn't really get him in the post, didn't really get him in pick-and-roll. He was playing as a support player on offense, as you like to say. And he was able to attack off of closeouts. He can go either hand. He's actually, in many cases, more comfortable going to his right. He threw down some nice dunks with the right hand. 
his first step i would say is solid but not elite so he's really going to need to be able to be that threat from three to get to the rim not as comfortable jumping off of one foot that's something we talked about in the scouting report process he did have this one play that i tweeted out at nate duncan nba for some reason you don't follow me on twitter where he got into the lane did a spin move kind of was stuck and threw it off the backboard and almost just dunked all over someone with the right hand it just hit the heel of the rim that would have been like the absolute highlight of summer league um he did manage to create shots with 24 percent usage his two point percentage was not great the finishing around the rim could be better with his explosiveness he goes to a lot of kind of weird scoop shots where he's still releasing the ball pretty low can get his shot blocked you know doesn't have the greatest angle sometimes also will throw up some difficult floaters instead of being able to get all the way to the rim and he can make those especially with his right hand as a lefty that's impressive and you know i love ambidextrous players but those aren't great shots so to only go 21 of 49 from two uh, is a concern he, and he finished with 24 percent usage but only 43 percent true shooting you know i think a little bit of a disappointing time offensively but I, I liked what i saw from him in the floor game it's always hard to evaluate some league guys especially in the perimeter defensively i thought he was fine you know i didn't think he was a really a, like locking guys down but i thought he did a good job and as as you said in the earlier part he competed out there which i always enjoy Malik Monk only played one game due to that thumb injury which initially was reported to have him out for a matter of weeks then he was day-to-day but did only play the one game in that game against Oklahoma City he was bombing it from way outside uh, especially in transition uh, those deep threes which uh, he's really starting to find a, a knack for can be a, a weapon in transition shot it very well in that game he was nine out of 16 passing looks still kind of limited again this is only one game that we had film on but had some ugly turnovers where he's trying to find the the role man and out of pick and roll that's really kind of the only pass that he's looking for at this point is the role man he's not making the advanced reads and as a finisher you know he can get to the rim back door and rise up for some nice uh dunks off of two feet but really getting into the lane finishing with craft that was a weakness for him at kentucky and a spacing challenge team and and you know some of his drives really kind of got him into trouble with nowhere to go and then the last thing i'll say is that he also showed a, a good aptitude for pump faking sidestepping still getting the three-pointer off as the guy was flying at him so you know he had one good game it looked pretty nice he, he had some good games in uh the tanktastic end of last season so certainly way too early to write him off as a score to be a starter obviously the defense is gonna have to come around i don't really have much comment on that in one game this will be malik monk's age 20 season and it will be the age 23 season for their second round pick Devonte grant out of kansas point guard and i thought what was what was intriguing to me about graham was that I, he didn't pop just as a you know the way he's moving around the floor and anything like that but he was a very good passer i thought his vision especially in transition was there he was averaging six assists a game was finding guys and so i i don't see that you know that athleticism or burst that can be that you really see as a hallmark of like we've drawn the line at about like a top 25 point guard in the league but he could be in that you know in, in a group below that that is still valuable in the league i've talked at length about how important it is to have capable point guard play for all 48 minutes every single game yeah for uh, graham the 34th pick his reputation kind of coming in was like all right this guy's a steady shooter he shot over 40 percent from three in college but he shoots it you know really a jump shot shoots it at the top of his jump sometimes even on the way down so 
I'm a little skeptical about how well it's going to translate to three, especially after he was 0 for 12 on threes uh, in the three games that he played. I actually disagree with you. He showed to me a lot more athleticism than I expected, whether whether it was rejecting screens, getting to the rim, finishing uh, around guys at the rim. I thought he actually showed more explosion than was advertised. He wasn't a guy I was particularly familiar with before Summer League. Uh, He's got pretty good bounce uh, as well to get to a spot in the mid-range and rise up if needed um i'm still a little skeptical about his shooting despite that good shooting in college you know, his form his elbow kind of flies out a little bit he kind of can shoot it on the way down at times and then really the other thing that impressed me even more than his ability to get to the rim was his passing especially in transition now he did turn it over quite a bit but he probably threw eight or nine passes in those three games that were just to guys sprinting the floor like really good vision hit ahead passes guy first middle you know bounce pass right on the hands for a layup uh a little bit less impressive in the half court where he had some more turnovers but he did have a, a couple of nice looks there as well and, and he averaged six assists per game in only 26 minutes which you know in summer league where assists really don't seem to be as common uh where the players don't know each other and there's a lot more selfish play it's good unfortunately he had to be shut down with uh a condylar lesion which uh is cartilage damage in the knee remains to be seen what the treatment will be for that but i was actually like really impressed by what little i i saw from him and and i thought you know i I liked him a lot better than you know the guy that uh came out of kansas last year frank mason i liked him a lot better than what i saw from jalen brunson who's uh, taked or taken immediately ahead of him at number 33 so i'm actually we'll see what happens to him hopefully he doesn't have to have surgery or anything like that uh but Uh, I thought he actually just he popped to me several times I I was not expecting uh, to like him as much as I did let's get to Dwayne Bacon the Hornets second round pick from 2017 this will be his age 23 season something that I thought was really interesting about him was that he averaged 3.2 three-pointers per game and 14.2 two-pointers per game but it was still you know not not uh, super efficient but reasonably I 48 percent true shooting 28 usage and I'm just you know with him I just think he's a a, a solid guy you know like what he's good at he can do a little bit with the ball in his hands especially when he's looking to score but I just don't think that those skills are super relevant at the NBA level I think you could be a valuable player maybe at a lower level somewhere else so he, he's a quadruple okay player. that's fair he, he to me is like the definition of a quadruple a player I'll, I'll explain why in a second but well you could just explain it now oh okay well I, I uh was gonna let you finish what you were saying but uh I, I was so excited to call him a quadruple a player but I think like he's got this big body if he's being guarded by guys who aren't that good he can kind of just get to a spot you know create a little space rise up but if he's really being defended by anyone with any type of quickness or length he's not gonna be able to do that you know he shot it well from mid-range out of pick and roll but doesn't really get all the way to the rim any kind of contest at the rim is a big problem for him uh he was 12 out of 33 at the rim and when he's contested at all i mean he'll throw up just some absolutely wild attempts that like don't even hit anything he's got very little uh, explosion even when he's going for that mid-range jumper you know a lot of it is based on creating the space with his body and and then trying to rise up um rarely gets to the rim as well out of pick and roll not really any kind of vision as a passer out of pick and roll and then from three you'd say all right you know the other reason you're a quadruple a player is well you have to operate with the ball in your hands but you're just not be able to be efficient that way against nba personnel right i mean he's took only five catch and shoots and it's not like 
know they weren't throwing him the ball at the three-point line but he always would have to drive he only uh took those five catch and shoot threes and then he was 13 out of 32 off the drill which is not bad but again he's got to make his living on that he's got you know some decent craft in the pick and roll but again it's all just to get to his mid-range jumper at the free throw line and he doesn't really even have three-point range when he shoots a three it looks pretty flat so you're a quadruple a player when all you can do is score but you're not be able to score efficiently against like good defenses at the nba level and you just have no way really to effectively play offensively with better players the last guy i think we really need to talk about with the hornets is william gomez this will be his age 24 season and he had some really big overall numbers, 18.2 points per game, 12 rebounds, 28 PER, 26 usage, 585 true shooting. And something that was intriguing with him this year was that he was shooting threes. He was looked pretty comfortable shooting it, but he still grabbed four offensive rebounds per game. He's been a great rebounder the whole time I can remember watching him. And, you know, there are certainly things that he doesn't do well, but I always find myself with him for whatever reason, I find myself more intrigued by his strengths than his weaknesses yeah well especially when you're looking at him as a backup center and, and i think he's certainly someone who can play well in that role he's gonna have big competition from bismack biombo but you know he can kind of be the offensive backup center and biombo could be the defensive backup center in theory uh but ernie gomez i think he could be a quality offensive center defensively you you wonder uh but he's just a, has a lot of feel for the game the three-pointer was intriguing he was five out of 13 if he can extend his range out to three he certainly was shooting with no hesitation we don't know how often it's going to go in there he is a capable post player but he wasn't really asked to do much of that he is also a very good screener he's a solid pick and roll big despite his lack of explosion due to his ability to slip screen switch the angle of the screen he plays very physically and aggressively as well i mean he was delivering some shots to guys uh he's got a solid jump hook game as well and so you know i mean we've seen enough of him at the nba level although not that much last year this is his third year you know you'd expect him to play as well as he did and he he did what he really came here to do and the three-pointer is intriguing so i've always felt like he could be a, a totally adequate backup center option against a lot of lineups unless you need someone with a lot of speed defensively and uh i still maintain that opinion anything else on the hornets or do you want to move on to the bulls yeah let's move to the man who probably was the most impressive rookie in summer league this season i don't know if you agree with that do you agree with that assessment for wendell carter impressive is is a tough word what i was going to say is most memorable i mean so there are a lot of different ways that that you can kind of think about summer league and when i think about 2018 vegas summer league i'm going to think about wendell carter because especially that first game when he was playing against was that the first game was against Cleveland right and he yes. moved especially defensively so much better than I thought he would his defending on the perimeter reacting closing out whatever it was and it was so it was kind of funny because it was just like one of those concerns that I had about this idea of okay you know we liked all these centers I, I liked Wendell Carter a lot was well you know if he can't do all that stuff quite as well as some of the other guys that's gonna lower what he can do well he answered all those questions and then I thought he also showed more capability offensively one of my favorite plays that he had I caught just a few minutes of one of their later games I can't remember who it was against and he caught the ball it was about like 25 22 24 feet out pump faked and then did like a quick two dribbles towards the rim and i'm just like what the hell like it, it he showed more body control more first step ability and they were closing out because of his jump shot and he just showed more tools in the toolbox physically than i expected and we liked a lot of his you know skill stuff i mean his skill stuff was 
way better than most 19 year olds you will play this year at age 19 but physically i was just so thrilled at how good he was yeah i think that was the the biggest thing was just his increased mobility they were switching a lot they had games where they were switching just about everything and he held his own quite well now very few of those possessions were against real nba quality iso scores you know what's he going to do when he has to guard james harden it's going to be a little different but still his quickness looked really improved and he had shown some flashes in college of being able to cut guys off and it seemed like maybe just his technique wasn't that good and so perhaps he had improved that some he has by far the best help instincts of any of those bigs that were drafted uh in the top 10 not the best pure shot blocker but in terms of just getting his body there using verticality knowing when to leave his man come over block the shot and then he, he showed more pure shot blocking as well he had those five blocks in the first game were truly eye-opening he had the one play on zizic and where he caught the ball basically as zizic was going up her lip but what was most notable about that was that he actually when they switched began that possession on the perimeter i want to say his man may have even thrown the entry pass zizic had like you know some smaller player on him so zizic catches the ball right inside the charge circle pump fakes eludes the guy who was guarding him goes up and carter has come off of the guy who threw the pass and gets all the way down there and blocks him so he's really you know and zizich was never going to throw it back out to the guy carter was guarding so he knew that hey i can commit go down there bust my ass and block this shot and so just his rotations were outstanding and then offensively i liked what i saw from him as a passer out of short rolls moving the ball to the weak side uh navigating the stunt man from the weak side pretty well the three-pointer was dropping for him there was a memorable one where he actually got an offensive rebound that he tipped out to the corner just went out and got it jacked up a three from the corner like his three-pointer looked really good i thought didn't take a ton of them but when he did it it was solid in the post still goes right shoulder very often but it's not you know he goes 90 percent of the time anymore like he did in college he was able to fight to his left shoulder jump hook and use that to set up a spin move back over his right shoulder to a lefty jump hook which he hit a couple of uh at range uh he likes the right shoulder turnaround jumper as well which can be a powerful shot against smaller players Players. he got stymied a couple of times uh you know i'd like to see him be even more physical with that big 250 pound frame frame and just put guys in the goal that's the one type of move we didn't see he was more focused on kind of these skill moves uh but as he gets stronger i think we'll see that from him as well um he's not incredibly explosive around the rim you know not he can get up for an alley but he's not just some massive threat if he's on the move you know not going to just come in and crush dunks on people um but he's a very intelligent player showed some nice facility in the dho game the pick and roll game um and is he going to be a superstar maybe not i said you know al horford maybe wasn't a fair comparison because he was so much slower than horford but with this increased quickness maybe he can become that type of a player it's possible i also want to note as i did when we talked about him the thing that al horford reached towards the top end of al horford's potential and so we'll take a lot for wendell right, carter to right. get there but i certainly liked a lot of the tools there i also want to just just so i have it out there below 20 usage at 19.6 which is you know on the low side but that's okay and 617 true shooting is pretty damn good considering he had a little bit of a little bit of a couple different elements there but let's get to chandler hutchison age 22 their other first round pick it sounds like they kind of 
maneuvered things to, to get him there. He shut down workouts, a lot of that other stuff out of Boise State. And what struck me about Hutchison before going back and watch, you know, and, and film and everything like that, watching the Bulls live, and some of this was just Wendell Carter being awesome. But there were times where I totally forgot that Chicago had another first round pick that was on the floor at the time. And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, like you, you'd see him. I think he was number number 15. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, you should be watching this guy, too. That can be a good thing and a bad thing. I think for Hutchison, it's a little bit of both. He was a little bit smooth out there, you know, made some made some decent passes and things like that. But also, like on the defensive end, it, he was there. It wasn't like I wasn't noticing him because he was screwing up all the time. But he wasn't, you know, being like, oh, this is definitely an NBA guy. And that's something that when a guy is 22, even if he is a rookie, I'd like to see a little bit more. Yeah, he was an, an interesting mix of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, part of why we were delayed recording is I watched a lot of film on him. I really would. And wings like him, you know, in theory, three and D type of wings are probably the hardest players to evaluate. And you mentioned the the lack of playmaking defensively, low number of steals and blocks. You'd hope that a, a guy like him is going to be athletic enough to create those kind of plays. Shot eight out of sixteen on three pointers, but that's in one hundred and sixty two minutes, so that's not a ton of threes that he's getting up in terms of volume. I thought that his arc was a little bit inconsistent. He had some really high arcers, some that that were a little bit lower we'll see how good of a three-point shooter he ends up being i mean i think the 16 attempts to me is more telling than the eight makes when we're talking about this type of a sample size the most impressive aspect of his game was the passing 3.6 assists per game uh he throws really fast bullet passes uh able to find weak side shooters out of the pick and roll uh, and he'll get penetration and one thing that i was impressed by with him was you know he didn't show a ton of ability to finish at the rim he's only nine out of 27 on two pointers uh and four out of 19 on two pointers in the half court which is really rough but when he would drive if he wasn't able to get all the way to the rim he would drive really with the intent of drawing the defense and then being able to dime someone up as a, which you know a lot of guys at this level aren't doing that you know they're driving and they're gonna try and score he certainly tried to do that and wasn't able to be efficient uh some potential as a grab and go guy which i i liked although his handle could stand to tighten up a little bit especially in the half court the ball really seems to slow him down and so off the dribble he doesn't really have the fastest first step so he's gonna have to tighten up his handle if he's gonna be a guy who works with the ball in his hands even as you know a tertiary type of guy uh you know, he, he had a couple of nice dunks, but, you know, I would describe him as a solid athlete, not a, an amazing one. Um, You know, probably not going to dunk on guys necessarily. And I did notice that he does have enough strength, you know, at 22, you would hope that he would to, you know, if he gets a shoulder past the guy, he's not going to get bumped off of, of his drive. So I don't know what to think about him. I, I, mean, I think much of what he's going to be is going to depend on his defense, which is far too early to evaluate. I usually don't spend a ton of time on that at the summer league level, unless it's a big, just because it's, uh, you know, know small sample guys are playing bigger offensive roles than they're actually going to play in the pros so i think you know we'll have to wait till we see him at the nba level really to evaluate that the last guy for the Bulls is Antonio Blakeney. This will be his age 22 season. And I don't know exactly where he fits in terms of the quadruple A thing we've talked about a few times on this podcast, but a really fantastic opportunity for him in Summer League because he's a guy who gets buckets and gets the opportunity to get buckets in Summer League against inferior defensive talent to what he would see in the NBA. Yeah, you know, I wanted to... I, I wrote that he's the kind of player that Summer League is made for. I don't know if he's as much of a quadruple A guy because I think he has NBA athleticism. Right, you know, yeah, that's why... That's why I think he's guys different too. Don't, yeah. So, I mean, he's got great rise on his jump shot. Worth noting that in the G League last year, if 
he took eight threes a game 34 percent for three and he averaged 32 points a game for the windy city bulls uh, on that two-way contract also played plenty with the the big club i would like it if he got a little bit stronger he's really kind of point guard sized uh, as well and you know if he's could avoid being a big defensive liability then i think he could make a nice career for himself if he's going to just get lit up defensively he can create shots i think even at the nba level he'll get to the foul line a lot as well he averaged uh eight free throw attempts a game in the g league last year and got to the foul line plenty not really a passer only 14 assists in five games and when you have 34 percent usage probably would like to see a few more assists than that he definitely would miss guys quite a bit but he's a good transition player really runs the floor well when he's off the ball um can get in for some dunks even at about six two which is impressive but you know he's a the type of player that used to be derided as a combo guard can work off the dribble but just doesn't quite have the vision uh, that you would like to see from him and you know hasn't shown a ton of efficiency yet against higher levels of competition but he's a guy who has some ability i think he he hopefully will be on the big club this year especially if zach levine is hurt they're going to have a a need for someone who can do some scoring off the dribble um another way that he could really improve his NBA chances is really to become like an absolute knockdown guy instead of a volume guy from three. I don't think he's quite there yet either. Yeah, not quite there yet, but I, I'm hopeful he can get there with time. I do I do like Blakeney, and I wonder how he fits in with this Chicago team. I mean, especially now that they've, uh, with, with what they've added, it's going to be a little bit weird, but he, he hopefully will get an opportunity. Are you ready to move on to the Cavs? Sorry, yeah, on the Cavs. I don't know why I stopped myself. Yeah, Colin mm-hmm. Sexton, uh, who will play this season at age 20. Uh, your thoughts on him? I liked what I saw from him. I didn't love it. I was lower on Sexton, I think, than some other people were, and I saw a lot of... Yeah, including me i would yeah say, and actually. i would say that some of the reasons why we did we did get through this in summer league i mean as a passer he seems more in that kind of that lower level where you know if it's if it's there he can make it but he doesn't create he doesn't pass guys open uh, that's the term that's used sometimes more in football he doesn't do that very often and you know summer league can sometimes be a hard time to do that but i've never really i didn't really see it as much from him at alabama and you know high usage about 30 percent efficiency was fine but not amazing didn't you know had times where he looked you know like he looked like he was giving a shit on defense but he wasn't that wasn't really necessarily translating into the results so i i think it was in some ways paralleling trey young where the people who like him saw saw things that connected with with what they liked and people who were a little bit lower saw those things as well yeah only 25 assists in seven games they played tonight actually some of these stats are are from before tonight that's not fantastic you said he doesn't pass guys open i agree with that most of the passes that he makes are kind of one pass away passes whether it's and they come from him setting it up with his own penetration um and he's able to find the bigs in those situations he threw a couple of nice passes they had marcus lee on this team who actually uh, i want to look at a little bit more closely although he's a little bit too much of a deep cut for this particular exercise but he, he was a guy who could go up and get some alley-oops a good finisher around the rim so Sexton was able to find him on a couple of nice passes or you know if he was there's a, a shooter open one pass away that someone had helped off of he could throw it to, to him but yeah I mean maybe out of his 25 assists you know three or four of them weren't just like blindingly obvious passes he definitely you know people laud his relentless attacking of the rim which i think is good unfortunately his shooting around the rim not great especially in part because he's forcing a 51 percent true shooting and 
13 out of 30 at the rim they had a couple of and ones in there so he's a point per possession at the rim that's not amazing obviously he does get to the foul line a ton i don't know he had 40 attempts in six games before tonight i don't know if it's going to translate as well as with trey young because I think NBA bigs are much better at verticality and not fouling at the rim, whereas Young, sad as it is to say, it's easier to draw kind of BS fouls on the perimeter than it is actually getting to the rim in today's NBA. Um, And then the other thing that I think was a big concern... and maybe something that'll come in time, but clearly isn't there yet, is a shot from downtown. Yeah, I mean, two for 12 before Monday night's game against the Lakers. And I I mean, I just don't see much in terms of a a real rhythm or a a stroke there. And he can get there. I don't see anything necessarily broken with the shot. This is an MKG or anything like that. But again, it's, it's a mandatory element in the modern NBA. And he needs to be aggressive taking it. And it needs to go in at least a fair portion of the time. Yeah, and I thought his long twos off the dribble when he's within about 18 feet looked okay. Percentage went down quite a bit after that. The I was impressed with transition where he got 23% of his possessions. And the biggest thing that I thought was a positive for him compared to what we thought coming in was I thought he looked a little bit clicker going against this level of competition than I thought he would. He popped off the screen a little bit more. Loves to go left from the left wing, get baseline, go in for reverse layups. He showed at least some ability to change speeds, which with his explosion, which is not, you know, it's probably like 80th percentile in the NBA among point guards type of explosion. You know, maybe even 85th, but, you know, there are some guys who are just nuclear at the top of that. You know, he's not quite at that level yet and may never get there. But with the level of quickness that he has, really any kind of changing speeds is going to be very effective. When Biggs would play conventional pick and roll defense and kind of be waiting for him at the foul line, he was able to put a move on him, blow by and get past them to the rim. And if they laid way far back, you know, he was able to pull up for the jumper at the free throw line. Loves to jump off of his right foot. That clearly is his stronger Like Even, you know, shooting a right hand layup, he'll jump off of his right foot a lot. Likes to jump off at two feet as well, but kind of pushing off his right leg a, a little bit more. So I, I consider this a very successful summer league for him. I don't want to go crazy because, you know, 51% true shooting and not a ton of assists and, and you know, didn't really do much in the box score defensively. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh my God, this guy's going to be the best point guard in the draft. I still comfortably feel that's uh, Trey Young. You know, some people were saying that. And certainly guys who are going to be able to score a lot in summer league and create a lot of shots. I think he'll, he'll definitely be able to create shots. Now, is he going to be able to be efficient? is he going to be able to create for others you know that's the question and uh i think it's going to be a few years before we know the answer if this is if they're planning on handing him the keys right away i think it's going to be pretty rough but that's the case for nearly all 19 20 year old point guards so he, he played uh better i thought than i expected showed some flashes so i thought it was a successful summer league for him even if you know and i thought he would be had a good chance of being a solid starting point guard uh coming into the draft even if the statistical translations were not particularly flattering to him and I, I still feel that way about him let's move on to Ante Zizic who will be entering his age 22 season and the second year of his rookie scale contract he was efficient you know high PER in only two games 19 of 30 from the field but the big question with Zizic in summer league is just kind of how these kind of centers translate into it so for example you know Jonathan Motley who was a two-way guy on the Texas Legends and you know not particularly great player you know he put up good stats too in two games and so you know certainly good for Zizic not going to knock him for doing what he was going to do i just don't know how translatable what he did is in the nba level yeah he, he plays hard he's strong he's willing to knock some heads out there 
gets on the offensive glass 10 offensive rebounds in the two games that he played he'll try to seal for deep post position he can get some buckets that way as well he he can't really shoot outside of you know maybe about eight feet but he uncorked like a little running hook um had a nice chemistry with jenny osmond getting him some passes uh, off of deep seals defensively blocking shots any kind of range you know those are some of the weaknesses there i I didn't you expect him to play well at his age his experience level i mean he's a guy who put up good stats in you know the pros in europe and that's probably a higher level uh, than the summer league is and especially if you're you've got a big body and you're willing to play hard you can do a lot so not a ton more to say about him you know i don't expect him to get a ton of playing time this year unless uh, they have injuries but uh, you know i think he's looking more like a third center to me and again you know he played as well as he could possibly play here you know i'm not like trying to kill the guy just it, nothing really changed my opinion of him here let's move on to jetty osman this will be his age 23 season he only played in two games and it's so funny because when you look at like the stats or anything like that it won't it won't really pop i mean it was three of 14 from three just the shot wasn't falling but in terms of the four game in terms of his aggressiveness defensively i saw an nba rotation player and that made me really excited maybe it was also because it was at that time in summer league where you're getting frustrated by how just blah a lot of the perimeter play is but i i really liked a lot of what he did out there and i've been a fan of his for a while i was one of those people who was stumping earlier in the playoffs and late in the regular season for the Cavs to play him more and he's a good basketball player yeah he plays smart which is more than you can say for a lot of these guys in summer league nine assists in his two games and he had a turkish national team commitment which truncated his summer league didn't shoot it great from three three or 14 but to give up seven attempts a game is not bad uh, i thought the the passing was nice he, he'll run some pick and roll doesn't really have the advanced dribble moves to just you know set up top and run a pick and roll they ran like a dribble weave set for him and he can find guys out of that with his height uh and he had a nice play where he picked up his dribble at the free throw line pass fake to the opposite corner fooled the tag man and then was able to get zizich open for a dunk the three's got to go in for him. It looked okay when he was shooting more of a set shot. He would try to get into like more of a traditional jump shot, but he shot that on the way down. That Some of these few attempts that he took off the dribble, shooting it that way looked really bad. It was kind of a different technique for him. Uh, he's got some facility as a grab and go guy. Uh, you know, you can push the ball and transition, but just in general, he's really more of a straight line player. You know, he's not, he, he had this one six spin move on Aaron Holiday, who basically played traffic cone for like half the summer league defensively. But generally he's kind of going a straight line. And if he gets stopped, maybe he can make a pass, you know, drive off of a closeout more of that. I don't expect him at the NBA level to be a, a guy who can do much more than be kind of like a Utah driver, second side type of driver uh but you know makes good decisions and i've had mike dunleavy jr as the comparison for him for a while he did look like he's put a little bit of weight on but i think that's a kind of how he is you know he's i don't think he's the shooter that mike grew into obviously although mike wasn't that great of a shooter when he was younger so that that i would still kind of say that comparison i thought that jetty did a nice job showed some feel worked a little bit with the ball in his hands and we'll see whether the three-point shot comes along and then you know defensively i didn't really get into that too much i think the extra weight that he put on helped him but you know again i think i'll probably wait to evaluate that until the nba regular season and osman also had the benefit of being a little bit more intense because he had spent that time with the national team and i think that really did turn his edge up a little bit and i really appreciated that but yeah i just i just liked what he what he brought out there all right, well, oh, can I do a plug quick? Here, uh, yeah, I was, I was oh, going to ask if you had anything. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote a piece for the Athletic 
about the, the few teams that still have cap space. Basically, that's the Kings, the Hawks with their reduced base after the Lynn deal and the little bit with the Mavs. Then the teams with exceptions that are worthwhile. And then also the teams that are looking to shed money. So I went through a little bit of the math for teams like OKC and everything else. And what's surprising to me is just how few teams are in each of those circumstances. There aren't that many teams with space. There aren't that many teams that are really looking to cut. And I don't know necessarily what that's going to lead to, especially because OKC in particular has these unusual contracts. So it's easy for them to cut their tax bill by a lot, but it's kind of hard for them to dump salary outside of that. So I'm interested in where it goes. Yeah. And it does seem inevitable now that Carmelo is just going to get stretched with uh, Jabari Parker kind of being the last out there. As you mentioned, the Kings do have some space uh, after Parker, of course, uh, signed with the Bulls, but it seemed like more likely that he was going to go to the Bulls than than elsewhere. So uh, that'll do it for today. We'll be back later in the week not sure exactly what we're going to do yet hopefully we can get a little more summer league stuff if there's time to watch film but uh we'll have something good for i mean the off season kind of seems like it's coming to a conclusion a little bit earlier than it normally does here uh so maybe we can start get, to get into some of our off season wrap-up stuff as well but uh we'll be back probably wednesday night talk to you then everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.